today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. You look throughout the Word of God, you hear the testimonies of men and women through the years, you say, yeah, God used them in spite of the choices that they had made. And God used them in, in spite of the directions that they had gone. I think we find all through Scripture and all through life that God majors on the messes in order that His glory shines through and not the glory of man. He takes the worst of cases and shows himself strong on their behalf. Although Jesus is the Son of God, his earthly family was not much different than yours. His family was made out of human beings filled with great failures and flaws. Today, Pastor David will teach some of the stories of the genealogy of Jesus. This will help you to see how the Lord can and does use sinners. That's his work of redemption. He takes your failures, makes you a new creation, and gives you a second chance. That way, His glory shines brightly through your story. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Matthew chapter 1 with today's edition of The Open Word. Webster's Online Dictionary describes or gives a definition of genealogy as, number one, an account of the descent of a person, family, or group from an ancestor or from older forms. And I'm not real sure what the new Webster's means by that, or older forms. Maybe uh, I wouldn't even go there. It also says a study of family ancestral lines. Well, we have in my library a Webster's 1824 American Dictionary of the English Language. And I like looking up words there because it gives, a, I think, a much clearer definition many times. Anyway, the 1824 Webster's American Dictionary of the English Language states it this way. Genealogy is an account or history of the descent of a person or family from an ancestor. It's the enumeration of ancestors and their children in natural order of succession. They also say it's your pedigree, your lineage, the regular descent of a person or a family from a progenitor or an ancestor. Well, as I shared with you guys in in earlier lessons, several in our family uh, like going into that genealogy thing. Some of them are LDS. Some of them just do it because it's interesting background. We've gone through, we realized that the the Landry family, we were kind of latecomers to the new world coming to America. We came from France and Scotland and Ireland, a mixture of others. Actually, uh, truly, the, the, the Landry clan is pretty much a blend of cultures and customs and ethnicities from all 
around. Uh, we find that in Louisiana, where I grew up and where most of my family is still there, there is actually a St. Landry's Parish. Now, a parish in Louisiana is what the rest of the world calls a county, but there actually is a St. Landry's Parish. Now, I'm absolutely amazed, uh, again, to think that someone actually had the name of St. Landry and that they actually got a parish named after them. I mean, really, it, it, to me, it's pretty interesting, uh, especially when you consider the rest of my family. Uh, so, uh, now, Wikipedia that's the bastion of, of wisdom and knowledge and, of course, always truth. Uh, well, according to Wikipedia, they actually had a short little article on my long-lost cousin, St. Landry. Now, it doesn't say when he bought or when he received his sainthood, but it does give a little bit of a background. It says that the oldest record found of a person named Landry was actually in the 5th century, around 450 A.D., in the person of St. Landry of Seas. Seas like in the candy. So I think there's hope there, okay? Now, he was a French saint in the Catholic Church, a third bishop of Seas, actually. And Seas is a small town in France up in the Normandy region in the northwest area of France. Now, according to Wikipedia, he lived with great sanctity and was responsible for great progress of Christianity in his diocese. It appears, though, that this was done in spite of great resistance because in his legend, Wikipedia continues, it is said that he was placed in a barrel filled with flax combs. Now, flax combs, I had to look that up. What in the world is a flax comb? It's a, usually a wooden handle with, with metal combs coming out of it, you know, like, like a bunch of nails that they would use to uh, comb or scrape out things. Yeah, so the barrel was filled with wax combs, and they rolled him from the top to the bottom of a mountain. So nevertheless, he, he died at a great old age. It doesn't say how old, just said at a great age, on March 4th, uh, 480. And he actually has a feast day that's named for him. That's in July 16th. So we're gonna have a big party July 16th. You're all invited. There's a prayer that's repeated on his feast. I know this probably is not nearly as interesting to you as it was to me, but there's actually a prayer that is given on uh, uh, St. Landry's feast day. The Lord Almighty, who has tested the faith of the blessed St. Landry and rewarded his piety, enliven us with a great zeal in order to work in following his example for our sanctification and sustain our weaknesses with the help of the prayers of your faithful servant. Grant us this grace by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I wish I could say that the rest of my family kind of followed in his saintly footsteps, but that would not only be a stretching of the truth, that'd be a downright lie, okay? Uh, my, my family history actually includes scoundrels and crooks, tradesmen and aristocrats, scholars and blue collars. There's even a few of my ancestral roots that have never, ever seen jail time. There's just a few of them, but there are those. Uh, I think that they were the faster talkers, the swifter runners, but uh, it's funny when you take the time to look at your own ancestry. You really have to keep an open mind, as well as understanding this truth, that we do not have to be the sum total of all that went before us. 
Amen? That we can change. We can and we need to be the people that God designed us to be, breaking free, actually, from the sins of the fathers and from the past, that God begins a new work in each one of us when we come to him. There's no doubt, again, I don't think anybody's got more of an embarrassing ancestry than the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you look at his earthly, his human ancestry, and again, you find uh, some pretty amazing stuff. Whether you're going through Mary's ancestry or through Joseph's, the, again, as the legal guardian or the legal father of Jesus. In Mary's, we find in Luke chapter 3. Joseph's, we find in Matthew chapter 1. Now, when we look through in some of these uh, uh, individuals within the roots of Jesus' family tree, we soon discover that, the, again, that earthly family it was not too much different than any of ours. It was made up of human beings just like your family, just like my family. I'm gonna invite you, if you would, turn to the book of Matthew chapter one. We're actually gonna look at uh, the genealogies here. We are not going to cover every name, but we are going to look at some of the stories that do kind of bear repeating who uh, really through them, through some of these names, we actually learn and see how clearly that the Lord can and does use knuckleheads, okay? And, and, and the great thing, that is redemption. That is the truth of redemption, that he takes our failings and he remakes us, that whole born-again experience. Look with me, Matthew chapter one. I'll try not to destroy too many of the names as we go through. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa, and Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah, and Uzziah begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Do you feel like you're in the book of Numbers? Yeah, but stick with it, stick with it. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, Ammon begot Josiah, Josiah begot Jeconiah, and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheltiel, and Sheltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiod, and Abiod begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud, and Eliud begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations and from the captivity of Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. Okay, give me a minute. I got to catch my breath. <sighs> okay. It's a lot of names to try and pull together. Now, 
this genealogy, this listing actually does a couple of things for us. First and foremost, it really does, it declares for us with assurance the royal bloodline of David being passed down in the line of Jesus' family, even if it was on Joseph's side. Because Matthew actually includes both Abraham and David. And again, that ties the Messiah with the two great covenants of Israel, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. This was necessary, actually, if Jesus was going to be accepted as the Messiah by the rabbis and by the biblical scholars of the day. Whether they believed he was virgin born or not, as they were looking at this family line of Joseph, that would help to determine his eligibility for it. Now, secondly... It also gives us a pretty clear picture of those whose lives were a part of God's plan. And it's absolutely amazing the people that God uses to be a part of his plan. Amen? Amen. I look around the room. Amen? Amen. Amen. Me included. The the reality is that God will use us. Of interest in this listing, and I I, I know it's not the first one, it's near the end, but uh, Jeconiah in in verse 11. This guy was so perverse, and he was one of the kings of, of Judah, that he became cursed by God that he would be childless. Jeremiah 22.30 states that, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Now, that suddenly brings out a big problem. If none of his descendants are going to sit on the throne of David, then how does Jesus get there? Well, again, This is working through Joseph's lineage and not the lineage of Mary. Uh, It would not have worked out for the lineage of Christ. So we find that uh, Jeconiah, he was a descendant actually from Solomon, the son of David. But in Luke's account, Jesus is actually a descendant from another son of David, Nathan. Now, Nathan is again in the bloodline of Mary that we find in Luke. And since Joseph, though, was the legal father of Jesus, his lineage does work as, again, the right for Jesus to be able to be the Messiah, but then so does Mary's. I know it's a little confusing, but again, it's part of the legal system of the Jews, and it's God's plan, and it's God's purpose to work his will out through them in spite of, again, the legal ramifications of the Jews. God's determined that he was going to work through it. Now, in both the lineage of Matthew and the one that's found in Luke chapter 3, there's a lot of the same names prior to the time of David. However, we'll find some of the names that appear to be the same later on are actually different as these two lines split from David, one going along the line of Solomon, the other one going along the line of Nathan. There's another confusing thing in the lineages of Matthew. Matthew begins with Abraham, and then he goes forward until we end in verse 16, saying that Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. However, Luke, he actually begins with Jesus, 
and he moves backward until finally in Luke uh, chapter three, verse 38, he ends with the, actually the, the ultimate origin. He says that in, the son of Enos was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. And yet neither Matthew nor Luke pull any punches as far as the characters that they list. Now, Matthew doesn't list all in that lineage, all in those generations. He doesn't list all those names. But it's interesting, the ones he does include. You know, if if I was writing this thing and I wanted to kind of clean up the picture, I'd leave out a few, but that's not the case. I mean, let's look for, for Matthew. We look at the first one, Abraham. No, Abraham, he was definitely, man, he was, he, was, he was the father of the Israelites. He was the father of faith. There's no doubt about it. God had made him the father of many nations. And yet, even Father Abraham had his downfalls. If you don't believe me, ask uh, Sarah, his wife, or was she his sister, or was she his wife? Well, it depends upon the circumstances. Jacob one of the twin boys of Isaac and Rebekah. Again, that, that whole family was deceitful. Jacob, known as the, the, the trickster or the, the heel catcher, uh, he learned his trade actually from his mother. Rebekah kind of taught him how to deceive his own aging father, her husband, in order that he could steal the birthright from his own older brother. And so the family of Esau, they've had problems with that. Uh, for As a matter of fact, they still have problems with that because of the deceitfulness. And yet, Jacob is in the birth line of Christ. Matthew, when he wrote his genealogy, in fact, the whole book of Matthew, definitely it's written for the Jews, and it specifically deals, it's interesting, specifically in Matthew, he deals with certain women within the bloodline of Jesus. Four Old Testament women, to be precise, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Now, each of these women as well as the men that they're connected to, were pretty questionable, to, to say the least. Two of them, Tamar and Rahab. Uh, Rahab, we know, is a prostitute. Tamar uh, pretended to be a prostitute and went through the act of prostitution. She deceived her father-in-law, Judah, who was actually just as guilty as she was. She tricked Judah into thinking that she was just a regular old street prostitute. And so Judah goes into her, and sure enough, she conceives, and she bears a set of twins, Perez and Zerah. So that gets pretty confusing if you hadn't thought about it. Is he my dad or is he my grandfather at that point in time? Well, that's, that's part of the lineage of Christ right here. Perez is, is, is also listed in the lineup, again, towards King David. So he's actually in both lists, Mary's list as well as Joseph's list. Rahab, we know the story of Rahab. No getting around it. She had a house of ill repute. Uh, she located it on the wall there of that wicked city, Jericho, when the two spies that Joshua sent out to spy out the land got trapped in the city of Jericho. They ran and hid there. She hid them up on the rooftop in the midst of her sinful lifestyle. 
she came to realize that the God of Israel was the one true God. And so she allows these two spies to escape. And the Lord, through Joshua, a little while later, allowed her and her family to escape the destruction of Jericho. And then later on, she marries one of those two spies, Salmon. Now, this Jewish man, Salmon, and his new Canaanite ex-prostitute wife ended up having a son by the name of Boaz. Now, Boaz became a powerful, he became a rich landowner there in Israel. Some years later, a Moabite woman followed her Israeli mother-in-law back to Israel after they had both lost their husbands. And it was Boaz who blessed this Moabite Ruth and later took her on as his wife. And yet prior to that, you need to understand, Ruth had been involved in the pagan worship of the Moabites. And yet she committed her life to God as she was coming back to Israel with Naomi. Ruth chapter one, verse 16 tells us that Ruth said to Naomi, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. For wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. I believe that, that was the conversion experience of Ruth right there. And so now as a converted Jew, Boaz takes her as his wife. From the union of this converted Moabite pagan woman and this Jewish man comes again, the son, by the way, and the Jewish man, Boaz, he was the son of a harlot. And so between that union comes a son by the name of Obed. Now, who Obed became the father of Jesse, who became the father of David, the king of Israel. How's your family line lining up? How much of a mess, really, does your life need to be in before God can't or won't use you? I haven't found one yet that's tipped the scale. You look throughout the word of God, you hear the testimonies of men and women through the years. You say, yeah, God used them in spite of the choices that they had made. And God used them in in spite of the directions that they had gone. I think we find all through scripture and all through life that God majors on the messes in order that his glory shines through and not the glory of man. He takes the worst of cases and shows himself strong on their behalf. Even when we get to the great king of Israel, David, the son of Jesse, what a mess. Let's face it, this guy apparently had a terrible weakness in his flesh. And the enemy of his soul tried to do him in. Satan tried to destroy him in the midst of his power, but in the midst of his weakness. See, David had great power and authority in a worldly sense, but he had a great weakness spiritually. Ah, but God, see, that's where God comes in. God comes in and provides what we don't have. 
God comes in and fills us and strengthens us where we become weak and not our words. We're so glad you took the time today to spend with us here on The Open Word. We also hope you find joy and peace this holiday season and that Jesus is in the forefront of your mind. Is there anything we can be praying about with you or any exciting things God's doing in your life that we can rejoice with you over? If so, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We're honored to pray for our listeners. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Pastor David's here to tell you how that's possible. Hey, thanks, Chris. Not only can you find our Christmas messages, but all the messages that you've enjoyed and any that you've missed here on The Open Word, they're available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through the archive and listen online. You can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes if you'd like to read along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Hey, feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would be a benefit to friend or family members. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com. I pray your Christmas season is filled with the presence of Jesus, allowing you to look forward to a wonderful new year in Christ. We'd love to meet you in person. If you're in the area, come join us for our services at Calvary Casa Grande. We meet Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. You'll find all the information you need at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Join us next time to continue digging into the Word of God right here on The Open Word. Merry Christmas. Make us more.